Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and I am finally back home in Texas. I've been on the road for what seems like a long time now. I guess it has been a long time now. And it's great to be back. I know it's been a while since I've been able to hop behind a mic and do a podcast, but I'm excited to finally be home and be able to get back to podcasting for you guys. Um, This week, I want to talk a little bit about where I've been and what I've been doing, and then I want to get into the heart of the subject, which is why do videos cost so much? Um, You know, whether you're a videographer who's looking to justify your pricing, or if you're a business owner or someone who's been wanting to purchase a video but doesn't understand why videos cost so much, today I kind of want to break that down for you. This is a podcast I've been wanting to do for quite some time, so I'm fired up to get to it today. And uh, well, without further ado, let's get to it. This is the Filming with Josh podcast. Brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. So if you've been following me online, you've seen that I have been pretty busy lately. Actually, maybe you haven't. You might have seen some of the things, but some of it I haven't even had time to share because I've been gone so much. But essentially, I left for Alaska, I guess, five or six weeks ago. And before I even went to Alaska, I had so many projects due. I was working on six different different television commercials for a thermal and night vision company. I was working on uh, a video for uh, a high-end real estate lifestyle video for um, a Redfish Lodge down in Louisiana. I was working on a video for a 60-second ad for a um, horse trailer business, and several other... Oh, and also I was working on a video for a dentist. So, I man, I had a, so many different projects that I was working on, and I had to work like crazy to try to get those done before I left for Alaska. And then I left for Alaska, and I was there for three weeks, and I worked my tail off while I was gone. Um, essentially, I spent three weeks... I flew into... The first day I flew into uh, Sitka, Alaska which if you're not familiar with that, it's on the southeast of, uh, side of Alaska on the coastal side, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I've been to Sitka uh, several times now. I've been to Alaska numerous times, but I went to go do a project with Parker Guide Service, which is one of my um, oldest clients. Bruce Parker has been a client of mine since I was in college, so I guess seven years now, something like that. And uh, so I went, I went into Sitka and met him and got on his custom-built luxury yacht that he built uh, many years ago, and we left Sitka and took his yacht. We boated to um, Baranoff Island and shot photographs there and then went to Kuyu Island and ended up having some hunters fly in. And the whole point of this project was to shoot a lot of photographs for social media marketing, for um, putting on its website for putting on big giant banners at trade shows like SCI or uh, Dallas Safari Club and things like that, as well as magazine ads, uh, pamphlets, all those kinds of things. So I had to shoot a lot of high quality photos. And, and the first day I got there, man, we spent like, I don't know, I think it was like 10 or 11 hours right off the bat the very first day um, shooting just stateroom pictures, um, going into the different bedrooms and 
the uh, laying out the bed sheets, making sure there's no wrinkles, um, making sure all the light bulbs were on, and then taking really great looking shots of those staterooms. And then we also had to do shots of the living quarters and the um, or the living room and the kitchen and the dining room. And we had to have a chef cook these meals and lay everything out with cups and plates and everything or and wine glasses and whatnot so we could show people what it would be like through a photograph to come and live on this yacht for the duration of your hunt. And so we shot real high-end photographs of that. And just it took us like 11 hours to shoot essentially like nine perfect photos. And then we had to go in and edit those photos. I shot what's called bracketed photos. If you're new to photography, maybe you're not sure what that is, but it's where you shoot photos of different exposures, um, underexposed by a, a stop or two, and then have maybe one that's properly exposed and then one that's overexposed. And then you combine them together to create a, a picture that's got a wide dynamic range so you can show what's inside the room and also what's outside of the windows so you can see the background. And so that's a really unique way to show real estate photos or um, photos like what I was doing, which is to show you know the stateroom shots as good as I can make them look. <laughs> um, so we spent a lot of time doing that our first day. And then after that, we were getting aerial shots of the yacht in the mountains and things like that. And then when the hunters came in, we had to focus on getting photographs of the hunts. We had to go out on these flat bottom skiff boats every day looking for black bears and brown bears and uh, take photos of people while they're hunting, um, whether they're looking through binoculars on the skiff boat or they're um, stalking a bear on the shore, things like that. So we had to shoot a lot of photographs of those types of things. Um, shot a lot of wildlife photos, shot a ton of wolf pictures, pictures of moose and sea lions and seals and black bears and brown bears and millions of shots of waterfowl, just all kinds of different animals that we saw and lots of landscape photos and whatnot. And the whole point, I mean, we shot 16,000 photos in a matter of three weeks or 20 days. And I know that sounds like a lot, but when you think about it, in the skiff boat, that's a lot more than I'd normally shoot because in the skiff boat, you're bouncing up and down in the water and you're trying to shoot high quality pictures of certain animals or certain things. And you have to try to get your focus point on that animal and frame your shot up well make sure your exposure is well, all while moving up and down in a boat that's moving. <laughs> so you might take a hundred photographs just to get one really good one. And so it, it's really easy to go out on a day and rack up a thousand photographs because you're, you know, you might shoot a thousand photos just to get 15 good ones because you're moving up and down so much. Um, oh, look, there goes ESPN. I must have got an update. Something to do with the NBA. Well, my Spurs, they are out of the playoffs, so it doesn't matter to me. Um, anyway, so yeah, we shot, I shot 16,000 photos, and right now my wife, she's uh, in the living room. She's been culling through those photos and editing them, and we're going to deliver those to our client tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was an awesome trip, and we shot tons of photographs. And if you're not following Parker Guide Service on social media, I want to highly encourage you to do that, especially on Instagram. And you can find their handle. You can find them on Instagram under Parker underscore Guide underscore Service. And you should definitely check them out. Um, I've been running their Instagram and Facebook pages. They're on Facebook under Parker Guide Service. I've been following or running their accounts for, I guess, two and a half-ish years now. Um but the problem has been I don't 
I never have had much content to work with. I've been waiting to get a lot of content and they keep going out and taking pictures with their cell phone and stuff, but you can only do so much with a cell phone and they only are able to get so much when they're out in the field at one time because they're worried about guiding hunts and um, making sure that the chef is doing their job and the guides are doing their job. So it's really hard for them to pay attention to getting photographs for me when they're out in the field. So most of the content I've posted over the last two or three years has just been cell phone pictures that they've taken and sent me every once in a while, or I've been pulling from photos I happen to have shot when I was there in 2016, which I was there primarily for video, not for photos. So I only had you know, so many photos that I shot and I only shot them for myself. I wasn't shooting them for them for Instagram or Facebook because that's not what I was there for. So I've been posting a handful of pictures I had on file from three years ago. And then I took some screen grabs from video clips I shot when I was there. And maybe I'd post like 30 or 40 second clips of a bear walking down the beach. But I mean, I only had so much of that to work with because when I was there last time, it was to make a video about their hunting outfit, not to get social media content. So the great thing about this trip was I was 100% there to get nothing but a ton of photographs to use on social media, as well as their website and, and banner ads and magazine ads and all that other stuff. But the greatest part about it for me is coming home with a ton of photographs for social media. And I think when it's all said and done, we're going to have like six to 700 photographs after we've culled through everything. And, and while that sounds like a lot, that's like two years or so of content. And that's, that's excellent because it's a long way to go to go over there and spend three weeks and try to get these types of shots. So um, that ought to hold us over for quite some time. I'm pretty fired up about it. So over the next few weeks, you're, if you start following them on Instagram or Facebook, you're going to start to see a lot of pictures that we're going to start posting. I've already posted a few since my trip, but I'm getting ready now that we're calling through them to really ramp up their social media pages. So definitely be sure to check them out. I'm also going back in December, no, November, thankfully not December. I'm going back in November to do a similar thing for two weeks with them, only this time it's going to be on mountain goat hunts. And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, every time I've ever gone, we've harvested, pretty much every hunter has harvested what they were after. I mean, we shot five or six black bears and a, a great brown bear when I was there this last trip. Everybody tagged out. And I'm fairly certain we'll have similar success with the mountain goat hunts, um, this fall slash early winter. So I'm excited to go do that. It's going to be very cold. It was already cold on this trip. So I'm definitely going to have to bust out every single piece of sick gear I own. But I'm really fired up about going back in November and chasing mountain goats and doing a similar type of thing, um, just in a totally different season and in a different environment for them. So yeah, just be sure to go on Facebook and Instagram and follow Parker Guide Service and you'll start to see a lot of the photos I shot and um, occasionally I still post a few cell phone pics or things that they're, that they send and send me because they're still out there hunting right now. Um, but the vast majority of what you're going to see on there is going to be shots I took from this last trip. Um, what else have I been doing? I got back from that. I was there for three weeks. I got back and like two days after I landed, I had to go to North Texas to be the best man in my best friend's wedding. And it was really cool. It was a special moment for me because Jake and I have been best friends since I was shoot, we were both 11, I guess, when we met. We've been best friends literally since the day we met. And he, 14 months ago, he was the best man in my wedding. And so flash forward 14 months later to be able to stand beside him and be the best man in his wedding. I mean, that was just really, really cool. What a neat experience. I even filmed it for him. I'm not a wedding videographer, 
by any stretch of the means. I, I will never film a wedding as long as I can afford not to. <laughs> it's just not my thing. Um, but as kind of a wedding gift, since he didn't have anyone filming his wedding, what I did was I I took my A7 III and put a 70-200-2.8 on it and locked it off on a tripo- tripod um, kind of on a stage facing the um, where the ceremony was happening. And I got... Jake and his lovely bride in the shot, as well as some of the um, groomsmen and bridesmaids. And I mic'd up Jake with a lav mic, and I, I mic'd up the officiant with a lav mic, and taught my sister how to run my A7 III just briefly. I basically set everything up for her and just told her to press record, and if you hit the 30-minute mark, um, stop recording and start over again <laughs> really fast, and just had her do that for me. And you know, it's just going to be one locked off shot. It's not some high-end wedding video by any stretch of the means. However, it's going to be really cool to give Jake um, as a kind of a wedding gift, give him his ceremony um, completely filmed and uh, professionally with nice audio equipment and whatnot. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to be pretty stoked about that. So that that's pretty exciting. And, and I will say that I gave what had to have been one of the best best men's speeches ever. I truly believe that, man. I've been working really hard on writing a really awesome speech for him, and I definitely had the whole crowd laughing pretty hard, so (laughs) it was a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, I went and did that, and then I came home from that and got a phone call from Sub7. My friend Corey had recommended me to them um, because they were looking for a shooter to fly up to Iowa to wrap up turkey season with uh, Lee and Tiffany from The Crush. So they asked me, they called me and were like, hey, could you fly out tomorrow? (laughs) Um, We need someone to come wrap up the show for us. I was like, sure. (laughs) I had to go through and like unpack all my Alaska stuff and charge all my batteries and repack everything completely in a completely different way um, to go to Iowa. I got like no sleep and jumped on a plane and went there. I was totally not expecting that. Um, But it was a great time. I went to Iowa and hung out with Lee and Tiffany for uh, four or five days. And essentially, it wasn't a very hard job. Sub 7 had pretty much shot the majority of the show already. They just needed a kill shot and recovery to go with it. So they, and turkey season had been really slow for them. So they really needed to try to try to find someone that can come up and help them film the end of that. And well, I went up there and it was rainy, it was cold, and the birds definitely were not wanting to cooperate. But on the second to last evening, we finally got a bird on the ground and were able to wrap up that show. So that was a a lot of fun. And then I got home from Iowa and like two days later, I had people fly in for my film school. And if you've been following me online or listening to this podcast, you've heard me talk about my 2019 outdoor film school. And that was this past weekend. And that was an absolute blast. I did not fill out the film school. I did not sell all 20 tickets. Um, In fact, I only did about a quarter of that. However, it was a great experience. I learned a lot from this film school. I've been teaching private lessons for a long time now. I've had people fly in from all over the place as far away as Alaska to come take private lessons. And I've done a lot of that. And I also do private lessons online. Um, But I've never really taught a bunch of people and so it was a it was a great time to be able to sit down and work with a, a class full of people and kind of explain to them um, how to create a video from concept to final production. And what was neat about this was because we didn't fill out the class, I was able to really cater the class 
to the people that did come. And so I, I got to find out where they were and then work around that. And so the first day, we spent the entire first day, which was a Friday, in the classroom. And we went over some of the basics of videography. And you know, I wanted to make sure that they truly understood the basic things that go into video, um, like f-stops and ISOs and and your shutter and, and defilters and how all that stuff works together. Because even though I knew they kind of knew that, I wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page. And then once we kind of went through that, we started going over the different equipment I use from the various microphones I use and when to use them to the different um, motion equipment I have, the different cameras I have, the different lenses I have. And we just kind of went through all that stuff. Um, most of the, in fact, no, everybody actually that came to my film school shot with Sony mirrorless cameras and they were really interested in learning what all the settings meant. Um, which if you have a Sony mirrorless camera, you know there's like 100 million settings. <laughs> so I took my a7 III out and I walked them through what all the settings were and it took several hours to do that. But I think that was really beneficial because then they got an understanding for how to really set their cameras up to get the most out of them when shooting photographs or, or video. And so we just spent a lot of time going through a lot of stuff like that. Talked about lighting and uh, audio and sound design and all that on the first day. And then the second day, we did a little bit of that in the morning. But then we popped in uh, The Rivers Divide by Donnie Vincent, if you've never seen it. It's been out for several years now, but it's a great project. It's one of my personal favorites uh, as far as outdoor films are concerned. And so we went through um, The Rivers Divide, and we once after we watched it, we kind of broke it down, what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it. Um, there's not a whole lot not to like, so that list was really small. <laughs> but we did break down the, the, the movie and essentially just talked about storyboarding and how they used storyboarding to create this entire project. And then we took that concept of how they storyboarded The Rivers Divide and used that to figure out how can we storyboard a 60-second video for the hunting outfit that we were staying at. Because the whole point of my film school was to stay at a hunting ranch, and in three days, we were supposed to go through and learn about videography and then create a video for that ranch from concept to final production so that we have something we can give the ranch kind of as a thank you gift for letting us come, but also to walk th people through the process of creating a video from beginning to end. And even if you have created videos before, the whole point of this was to teach you how to do it on another level, you know, shoot an interview with three cameras, run multiple mics, proper mics, not not the wrong mic in the wrong situation, like using a shotgun mic indoors, but instead using a, a super cardioid mic indoors. And so we did everything the way that I would do a normal high-end production. It, we just did it in only a day and a half. <laughs> and so we'd watch the rivers divide, and we, I told them that the challenge of this of this project was to figure out how to create a marketing video that's only 60 seconds long for a hunting ranch when we don't have any hunting footage. Because obviously we're not going to hunt while we were there. We were there to, to learn about video production. But I wanted to create a marketing video for this ranch. Um, so we had to figure out how can we make a marketing video for them without showcasing any hunting footage. So what we did was is we storyboarded um, uh, a video that talked about all the things that make them unique, what their strengths are, the fact that they're close to the Austin and San Antonio airports, that they're in a really uh, beautiful Texas hill country, the fact that they offer a wide variety of game. It's a high fence ranch, so they offer a wide variety of different animals there. 
and we talked about all these different things and how they, you know, they've got lodges that can accommodate large uh, corporate hunts and things like that. And once we wrote all those things down, we then wrote a script that was timed out exactly at 60 seconds. And we even wrote down what shots we were going to get to go with the script. Okay, we're going to go get certain wildlife shots and we're going to go get shots of um, rifle blinds, shots of bow blinds, shots inside the lodge, shots outside the lodge, lodge and all these different things. And then we brought the owner in and sat him down and set up an interview and we interviewed the owner, but we already had written down what we wanted him to say. We just coached him through being able to memorize some of the lines and had him go through and read out the whole script. And we filmed the whole thing. And then we took all the B-roll that we got that we planned on getting and we shot it all and cut it to his interview with music and created a really great video in 60 seconds. And it's awesome. I mean, for for being able to do this together as a group and just really a 24 hours, to, by the time we started brainstorming the video to when we were done with it, we spent, you know, all that happened in a 24-hour time period. And to be able to do that together as a group and make a 60-second marketing piece that I think will work really well for this ranch despite the fact that there's no hunting footage, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And that's, I mean, we accomplished the goal that we, we set out to achieve. And so that's, that was a lot of fun. And I plan on putting that video out um, later this week. I'm waiting on the ranch. They haven't sent me the logo yet. So that's the only thing that's not done on the video. I just need them to send me the logo so I can put it in at the end. But outside of that, it's already done. We colored it together. We shot it in log. We talked about how to color grade log and all kinds of stuff. So to be able to do that together was a great experience. And so the film school was a success. I didn't sell out, but I didn't lose anything either, and it ended up being a, a great success. And next year, I'm going to start marketing my film school a year in advance. And what I, I think the reason why I didn't sell out is I've, I've come to the realization that a large part of my following, I guess really the majority of my following, is uh, not from Texas. Most of the people that follow me or that listen to this podcast or that are on the various Facebook pages I run, they're all from Missouri and Illinois and Iowa and Michigan and um, different places like that. I have very few people that follow me that are from Texas. So that was probably my biggest challenge of booking out the film school this year was getting people to come all the way to Texas. So I'm going to reevaluate that and see how I can improve on that for next year. Maybe I'll host it somewhere else, more of a centralized location. I'm not sure yet, but I'm really excited to see um, where this goes. I, everybody said they learned a lot. Everybody had a great time. I had a great time. So I can't wait to see what we do with it next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially what all I've been up to. I went to Alaska and and came back and went to the wedding and then went to Iowa and then had the film school. So that's been a lot of time over the last five or six weeks. I've just been swamped. But I'm home this week. It's been great. I've been kind of decompressing, going through, um, cleaning all my equipment, putting everything up, hanging out with my wife a little bit because I haven't got to see her very much lately. And I'm just kind of decompressing right now. And I thought today would be a great day to create a podcast over a subject that I've been dying to get to, which is why do videos cost so much? And if you've been following my podcast, you know that not too long ago, um, I did a, I did an episode that was about how to price your video work. And I even wrote, before I did that, I even wrote a blog, a really great blog, that's how all about how to price your video work. And if you haven't read that yet, I want to encourage you to do that. You can find it on my website, which is www.rusticriver.media. 
And if you go to rusticriver.media, on the top of the page, you'll see a tab that says Filming with Josh. Click on that tab, and there will be all of my blogs. And uh, one of them is titled How to Price Your Video Work. And my mother-in-law is texting me about bean and cheese tacos. <laughs> it does sound pretty good right now. Um, but yeah, you should go to my website, go to the Filming with Josh tab, and find that, that uh, article that's about how to price your video work and read through it. And that will kind of break down the two different ways that I price my projects. One is by a day rate and one is by the project itself. And it's a really great article. It's something that I feel like if you're struggling with trying to figure out your pricing, this ought to really help you out. Um, so I want to encourage you to read that article. And um, oh my gosh, I have to put my phone on silent because my in-laws are blowing up my phone here. If you are listening to my podcast in-laws, I don't know what you're texting me about bean and cheese tacos for, but can't it wait till tonight? <laughs> um, anyhow, so yeah, so read that article. It ought to really help you out. Share it with your friends. Um, I think it's a, just a really great starting point. And it's not a, it's a topic that not a lot of people want to talk about because everyone's so um, closed mouthed when it comes to how to price their work or how they price their projects. It seems like everyone's real secret about that. And I, I don't necessarily tell people exactly what I charge for certain things, um, but I'm also not afraid to talk about it. Uh, to me, it's not that big a deal. Um, there's a lot of work out there, and I'm more concerned about out-competing people, not by price, but rather in my, in my work. If someone's going to hire me, it's not going to be because... I've been keeping secrets on my pricing. They're going to hire me because they like me as a person and they like my product. And so I'm not I'm not afraid to talk about that. And so read that article or listen to the the podcast I did about how to price your video work. I think both of those are great resources. Um, but today what I want to talk about is a little different. It's more about why do videos cost so much in general? You know, what is it that makes them cost so much? Not Not how do you price it, but why do you price it the way that you price it? Why why do they cost so much? Why can't someone buy a two-minute video for $500? I mean, they can, but why is that not very common? Why do professionals have to charge a lot more than that? And so that's the point of this podcast. I think if you are um, a video producer or freelancer and you are trying to justify your pricing or you're struggling, um, wondering if you're charging too much or not enough, Hopefully this can talk a lot about that for you. And if you're someone who's listening to this because you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or you're just interested in um, why videos cost so much, uh, this ought to be a great podcast for you as well because it will explain to you um, why we have to charge what we have to charge in order to make a living. So to kind of break this down for you, what I've done here is I have a, I have a note sheet in front of me that I typed up about a hypothetical guy named John. And that's what this podcast is going to be about, our guy John. Let's pretend that John is a recent college graduate. He studied business in college, um, but he's graduated and he loves video. He shot some video in college, dabbled in it a little bit. He you know, borrowed his mom or dad's uh, camera and a lens or two and was playing around with video and decided he really liked it, learned a lot about it, shot some cool, neat videos, but now he's ready to try to do this full time. He loves video. It's his passion. So this is, you know, forget the business degree he got. He doesn't want to go get a job somewhere. He instead wants to be a full time filmmaker. So John decides after he graduates that he's going to try to invest in some equipment. 
And so he knows right off the bat that in order to be um, a filmmaker, he's going to need a camera. So he does some shopping around. He goes online and Googles and does a lot of research on what camera would be best for him. And he decides to get the Sony a7 III because it's a widely popular camera. A lot of people are using it for professional video work. And for the money, <clears throat> it offers a lot of features and ticks a lot of boxes. So he decides he's going to buy the a7 III and he's going to get some batteries and chargers and SD cards for it. So by the time he buys all that, he's got $2,500 in. And then John knows he can't have a camera without lenses. So he decides to get uh, the Trinity of lenses. And the Trinity is the 16 to 35 to 8, 24 to 70 to 8, and the 70 to 200 to 8. Those three lenses are the three most popular lenses when it comes to photography and uh, video work <clears throat> because they allow you to get from like wide shots, medium shots, and tight shots. And with their 2.8 aperture, you know, they're great in low light. So John knows that. He knows that those are the three lenses he needs to be able to do everything he wants to do. So he buys all three of them. And that's $7,000. So now we're up to $9,500 already. John knows that because he's shooting video, he has to have ND filters. He also needs UV filters for his lenses when he's not using uh, NDs just to keep his lenses safe. So he drops $500 on getting UV filters for his lenses as well as NDs. <clears throat> now we're up to cool $10,000 already. John knows that he wants to have some equipment that sets him apart. So he decides to get a gimbal. You know, gimbals are very popular and he wants to be able to offer that so he too can offer things that make him better than his competitor. So he buys a, a relatively affordable gimbal, a DJI Ronin-S, and he gets it with some batteries and whatnot, gets a good deal on it, and walks away with that for $750. He knows he also needs a good tripod, um, so he drops $500 on a halfway decent tripod. He's already up to $11,250. He also knows that he's going to be a nobody if he's not able to get aerial shots because people today, everybody today expects you to have some sort of an aerial uh, system. Um, he doesn't want to buy anything to fly his new a7 III on. He doesn't want to go that crazy, but he needs to get something that's pretty good. So he decides to get the DJI Mavic 2 Pro, very popular beginner drone. So he gets the Mavic 2 Pro, he gets some batteries, a case, indie filters for it, drops another two grand. Now we're up to $13,250. You can see where I'm going with this. He also knows he needs to have some sort of computer to edit on. Um, he knows that a lot of uh, people that do this work on Mac systems. He decides he wants to get a laptop so he can work on the go. So he buys a tricked out MacBook Pro, drops 3000 on it. He also knows that he needs some sort of editing drive because he's listened to my podcast and knows that editing drives are, <laughs> are good because they don't bottleneck your computer. So he buys an editing drive for 500 bucks, either a RAID or an SSD, one or the other. We're already up to $16,750, but we're not even close to being done. John also knows that he can't record good quality videos if he doesn't have some sort of microphones. So he decides he needs to get a, a wireless lav set and a shotgun mic very standard, right? And for a shotgun mic, he wants to get a boom pole for it so he can use it for interviews. He gets XLR cables and a mic stand and a zoom recorder so that he can use the shotgun mic for interviews as well as an on-camera mic. Well, for all that stuff, plus the wireless mics, he drops another 1250. And then he also needs to have lighting too. If he's going to be doing interviews and things like that, he needs to have some sort of lighting kit. So he goes online and finds a cheap three-point lighting kit for 500 bucks and buys it. 
we're already up to $18,500. John also wants to dabble in hunting and fishing videos because he has a passion for the outdoors, so he buys a GoPro with accessories. Um, and he also wants to get a slider because that's a very common item to have is a slider. So he picks up a relatively inexpensive slider, but between the GoPro and accessories in the slider, he drops another grand. And then lastly, he needs to have cases and backpacks to put all his stuff in. So he, when he's carrying it around in his truck or things like that. So he ends up dropping $500 on some Pelican cases and a backpack or two. All together, to get a basic setup, John has dropped $20,000 on the dot. And that's not that's just for one camera, three lenses, a drone, a gimbal, uh, a GoPro, a slider, a computer, hard drives and accessories for everything. That's very common. What I just explained to you, while $20,000 sounds like a lot of money, that's a very, very common setup for people to have. So John, he knows that that's what, he's, that's what he needs to get. He goes out and he's going to get all that stuff, but he's got to come up with the money to get it. He's fresh out of college, doesn't have it. So he needs to get the money somehow. He doesn't want to take out a loan because he doesn't want to go um, into crazy amounts of debt because he's already got student loans. So he ends up finding friends and family that loan him $20,000 interest-free. And he tells his family he's going to pay this off in 36 months, which is three years. <clears throat> well, if you break down $20,000 divided by 36 months with no interest, John has a $555.55 bill that he has to pay every single month to pay off this equipment. And we know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a videographer of any shape or form, you know that in three years' period of time, a lot of his equipment's going to become outdated. His A7 III will be replaced by an A7 IV. His Mavic 2 Pro will probably have been crashed 10 times, and there'll be a new one out there that he'll probably be interested in getting. His GoPro will probably be out of date by then as well. And so we know that over a period of time, he's going to have to eventually upgrade his kit, right? We also know that he's going to want to add a longer lens one day, probably, or maybe a prime lens. And we know that he's going to run into a situation where he's going to have to keep renting an extra lapel mic and decides to end up buying one so he doesn't have to keep renting it. So we know that over a period of time, John's going to be like everybody else. And he's going to add more things to his kit. And he's going to have to upgrade his kit over the years as technology changes. So even when John does pay this off in 36 months, we know he's probably by that time either going to be looking at upgrading or adding more gear to his kit that he already has. But without even going there, let's just stick with our $20,000 that he's dropped and our $555 a month bill that he has to pay every month. Well, John, John, now he's out of college and he's not living with roommates anymore. He's now got to get a place to live. So John finds a, a relatively inexpensive apartment for $1,000 a month, but he also has to pay water, electric, and sewage for it. So there's $250 there. And on top of all that, he has to have good internet. Um, John can't upload videos online without fast internet. Um, he's got to be able to have that. And he's also got to have fast internet for downloading stuff for projects he's working on and things like that. So he pays for fast internet um, at $100 a month. And John also has to have Adobe Creative Cloud because Premiere Pro and After Effects and Photoshop, those are the industry standard. So he signs up for Adobe Creative Cloud for $50 a month. 
On top of that, he knows that he's going to have to have music for his projects. And so rather than pay per song, he decides to do a subscription model. He realizes that Musicbed is a popular resource for music, especially for wedding videos and things like that, which he plans on doing a bunch of. So he signs up for a monthly subscription to Musicbed for $100 a month. He also needs some sort of system for keeping up with his books and billing his clients and things like that, so he signs up for QuickBooks at $45 a month. On top of that, he also has to have insurance for his business. Um, he needs to be able to have that insurance in case he crashes his drone or drops his A7 III or something like that. Plus, he needs liability insurance in case someone gets hurt on a film job. So he finds a, an insurance company that insures his equipment for twenty grand and gives him a million-dollar liability policy for $100 a month. Then on top of that, his truck broke down. And so he realizes he's going to have to get a new vehicle because his truck keeps breaking down. He's had it since high school, and it's finally time he's going to have to get a new truck. He doesn't buy a new one. He gets a used truck, but he still has a $500 a month payment for it. And then on top of all that, he's got to have car insurance. And so he finds uh, an insurance agency that will give him reasonable car insurance and also renter's insurance for his apartment. So now he's up to $150 for his insurance and renter's insurance policy. And then on top of all of that, he has to have a cell phone. So he signs up for an AT&T plan and pays $150 a month for it. Already, for everything I just said, plus his equipment alone, we're up to $3,000 a month in expenses, and we're not even done yet. John, because he's self-employed, he has to have health insurance because nobody's going to pay for it for him. And he has to have health insurance in case he gets sick or anything like that. So he signs up for a health care plan or health share plan. And he's able to find one that can fully insure him for $300 a month. And then on top of all that, he realizes he spends about $175 every week on gas and food and things like that. Um, he drives around a lot going to different jobs and things and um, networking and that type of stuff. He has to eat out sometimes, and, and he's also got to buy groceries, so he realizes that's about what he spends every, every week. And so he spends about $700 a month on all that. Now we're up to $4,000 a month. And we still have to talk about entertainment expenses. But I will say that John probably won't be going out very month, much because <laughs> any potential friends or girlfriends know that he's broke, so nobody really wants to hang out with him. <laughs> but we still have to have something set aside for entertainment and going to the movies, grabbing a drink, things like that. And also money set aside for getting a haircut or oil changes on your vehicle and things like that. So he decides he's going to put $500 a month for those things. And then lastly, he doesn't want to live in an apartment forever, so he decides he wants to have a savings set up. So he wants to put $500 a month away in savings so that one day he can move into an apartment. Or if he ever needs to upgrade his equipment, or anything like that, he can dip into his savings um, to help fund his new equipment. So altogether, to pay for what I have just described, John's got to make $5,000 a month. $5,000 at least. $5,000 a month at 12 months a year is a $60,000 salary, which is around what John was expecting to make when he entered the business program for his first job. You know, $60,000 plus expenses, uh, plus uh, benefits is very common for a recent college graduate with a business degree. So this is what John knows he needs. Um, but $60,000, while it sounds like a lot, isn't going to really be $60,000 even if he makes it. Because you have to remember, John is self-employed. 
So John has an LLC, right? He realized when he created this business, we'll call it John's Media Group, he realizes that he needs to have an LLC. It's one thing he learned about in, in business school is that if you're running a business, you want to you know, separate your business from your personal life. So you need an LLC or something like that. So he creates an LLC. But because he has an LLC and he's self-employed, he has to pay a lot of taxes on that. You know, He's got state tax or county tax. He's got federal tax. He's got all these other things that he has to pay. So even if he does make 60000 he's not really making 60000 and on top of all that, John also has to have a website. You know, no one's going to hire John if he can't give them a business card that allows them to go check out his website and see his work. So he has to pay every year on that domain and hosting fees, plus maintenance fees. So that comes out of the 60000 he plans on making. He also has to have a Vimeo Pro account because he has to have a place to store his videos, but he's uploading so many videos a week that he has to have, he has to have a Pro account, so he signs up for that. You know, there's... 100 or 200 dollars a year he has to pay he also because he has a drone and he's doing this professionally he has to have a drones pilot drone pilot's license so john has to go take classes for that and pass the test and renew that every two or three years or so so there's a lot more that goes into operating his business and than just the sixty thousand dollars he's trying to make i mean he's got to he's got to remember he's got taxes he has to pay more so than most people because he has an llc He's got to pay for his website. He's got to pay for his pilot's license. He's got to pay for his Vimeo Pro account, uh, among other things. And so as you can see, even if John does make 60000 a year, he's not really making 60000 So John is realizing pretty quickly that he's going to have to make quite a bit of money to be able to support himself doing this. And this is just for him being a single person. This is He's not married doesn't have kids, and doesn't live in a house. This is for a single guy, fresh out of college, living in an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment. It's a lot of money, guys. It's a lot of money he has to make. And it's more than it normally would be because he has to have, he's paying more in taxes. He has to have all this equipment. He has to pay software uh, fees and things like that. So John's right out of the right out of the gate. He has more responsibilities and more money coming out of his pocket than most people do. So John realizes he's going to have to make money doing this in order to support himself. And one day, if he has a wife and kids and a house, he's going to have to make even more than this. But for now, just starting out, John has to be able to make 5000 a month just to get by. And he's going to have to dip into his savings just to cover his taxes and his yearly expenses. So John knows, man, if he's going to be able to make this work, he's going to have to make money. So John does some math. He has a lot of people that are interested in doing videos with him, um, but they want videos on the cheap. And so John wants to figure out how cheap can I make videos? So he starts off and thinks, well, can I do videos for $500 a piece? You know, I know that that's what a lot of people that I talk to want. They ask me, hey man, um, how much would it cost to do this project? And John says, well, what were you, you know, what's in your budget? And they'll respond, oh, $500. So John, John starts doing the math. Okay, can I do these videos for 500 bucks, right? So he realizes that he even if he charged $500, he's not really going to be able to make $500 on a video because there's going to be expenses that come out of that. There's music. Um, even if he pays for a subscription model, what happens if he wants to get a song that's on another website like Premium Beat or Palm 5? You know, so there could be music costs. And John realizes that 
to create a video, if they want a voiceover artist, they're going to have to pay for that. They're also going to have to pay for sound effects um, if they want to have any type of sound design. And he also realizes on top of that that he needs to have special effects that he makes in After Effects like uh, lo you know, special logo animations or lower thirds that come on the screen and say the name of the person that's speaking during an interview and that type of stuff. Well, those templates cost money. He also has to have storage space. You know, he's got to, whenever someone does a, a video job, he has to be able to have somewhere to, to store his footage. He has to have hard drives. So there's going to come, uh, there comes a storage cost to be able to store the footage whenever he's working on a project. And he, does, he can't get rid of footage because what happens if the client wants to redo that project later on? You've got to be able to keep the footage. You never want to throw anything away. So there's got to be a storage cost. And then there's also travel expenses. You know, what happens if, if the people that are hiring him or some of the people that hire him are, you know, further than an hour away? I mean, there's gas expenses. Or what if they're out of state? There's airfare and baggage fees and car rentals and hotels and gas and rent, all this stuff. And then what happens if he has to have a film permit? You know, certain jobs he may get asked to do may require a film permit, and that costs money. And on top of all of that, you have to have uh, props. If, if, you're, if you're working with a company that wants to have props and they want to, like, fix up a room and make it look good, you never know. That could happen. And if that happens, he'll ha you know, there's a cost for that. What happens if the video you're working on also needs some people to act in it? Well, now there's an actor fee. And then what happens if they, they don't have a good location to film at? They want to film somewhere else. They need a building or a house to shoot the interviews in. Well, you may have to rent that location. And then on top of all that, what happens if, if John can't cover the whole video? What if the video he's getting asked to do is an event and he needs another person there to help him cover the whole event? So now he's got to find a, a, you know, find a, a way to come up with money for a second shooter or maybe even a sound guy, depending on what he's doing. So as you could see, John is starting to realize I can't do videos for $500 because there's probably $500 in expenses or more depending on the project I'm doing. So John already knows right off the bat that no matter what job he does, he cannot include expenses because if he does include the expenses, he'll never make anything because he could spend $500 just between music, sound effects, and a voiceover. So he realizes right off the bat his videos can't be that cheap. So he's already decided that he's going to have to tack all those expenses on after the price of what it costs to make the video. So let's pretend John decides that all expenses will come later, but he, he's still trying to decide what his cost should be. So he's trying to figure that out, and he thinks, well, what if I did charge $500 for a video, but then added the expenses on top? <clears throat> that won't be too expensive because, you know, we'll just you know, we'll work with them to figure out what expenses they're, you know, they want. Maybe they'll cut out a voiceover artist and do it themselves and that type of thing. But as long as I make my $500, it doesn't matter what they make. That's what John, or what doesn't matter what the expenses cost because they're paying for it. So John decides he's going to see if he can do these videos for $500 plus expenses. Well, John does the math and he realizes that in order to make $5,000 a month, he at he would have to do 10 videos at $500 a pop. That's a lot of videos. That would be 120 videos a year that John would have to do at $500 a piece. And what are the odds that John's going to be able to find enough clients to pay for 120 videos a year? That's a ton of videos. Not to mention the fact if you did 10 videos a month, you'd be doing a video almost every other day. 
you at least every three days you would have to be exporting a, a, a brand new video project and that's just just a ton and you know not every video is going to be 30 seconds some people might want a two minute video or a five minute video and so the the likelihood of john being able to do 10 videos at 500 dollars a piece every month is slim to none so john decides okay what, what how can i realistically how can i realistically come up with a price that accompanies the number of videos I anticipate I could probably do in a month. So John starts thinking about it, and he realizes that to, to make a quality video, he probably needs at least a day of planning, you know, script writing, figuring out what the shots are going to be, all that stuff. And he's probably going to want a day, maybe even two days, to shoot the video because he might want to shoot at a couple different locations depending on what the video is. Um, or maybe he's got to come in and shoot interviews one day and then come back the next day to shoot B-roll. So let's just say he spends two days shooting. Okay, now we're up to three days. And then John realizes he can rough cut in a day, but he needs a fifth day to kind of polish his video and do all the, um, make sure all the sound is right, the color's good, and then send it to his client and then make any revisions that his clients want. So now John realizes that to make just a typical two-minute long video for, for the internet, He's going to have to spend probably a week on it, you know, a week, a day of planning, two days of shooting, a day of post-production, and then a day of polishing his video up and, and making revisions. And then on top of all of that, he's going to have to, because he's a business owner on a weekly basis, he's going to have to keep up with his books. He's going to have to do social media marketing for himself. He's going to have to go to business networking groups and join the Chamber of Commerce and be an active member of that because that's the only way John's going to be able to find and make new clients. And so he has to spend time doing that throughout the week as well. So altogether, John realizes that to be able to run his business, do the books, do his marketing, go to networking groups and find clients, meet with clients, create proposals, script write a project, shoot a project, and export a project, he's probably realistically only going to be able to do around one video a week. Maybe he can do two videos in one week, but the next week he's spending that whole week networking and stuff. And so John realizes, man, I might only be able to do four to five videos a month. So he decides, I'll tell you what, I'm going to try to do five videos a month. That's what he decides to do. That's his goal. I'm going to try to make five videos every month. So he does the math, and to do five videos a month, he'd have to make $1,000 a video in order, plus expenses, in order to make his $5,000. So John starts thinking, okay, that's what I can get away with at the lowest end. As long as I can do five $1,000 videos a month, I can make the amount of money I have to make in order to survive. But then John starts to realize, you know, some videos are going to be much longer than others. And what, what if the video takes me two weeks to do? Well, that video is definitely going to have to be more expensive because it's taking twice as much time. So John starts realizing these things, and he realizes that he can't just have one set price. The video, you know, how long and how complicated a video is and how much more time it takes to create, that's got to change the price of it, you know, because it's going to take him more time to do it, which takes away time from him to be able to do multiple videos in a month. So... He realizes that his pricing is going to have to be adjusted based on how complicated the video is. And he knows he can still do cheap videos. I mean, don't get me wrong. John can easily do a churn and burn project where he shoots a video in the morning and sends it out that evening, maybe a real estate video or something like that. 
but he knows that he can't make his living doing that because he'd have to have 10 of those a month to be able to make a living, which again is 120 videos a year. So John is just thinking on average, his videos, so he's going to have to bring in on average around $1,000 a week or a little bit more. And so that's when John starts to realize that videos cannot be $500 a pop, including expenses. They're going to have to be higher than that and have the, all the expenses be tacked on top because that's the only way he'll ever truly be able to make a living. This hypothetical person I just discussed is a very realistic, um, in my opinion, a very realistic picture of countless, literally thousands, thousands of people out there that are wanting to get in video production. People like John who want to get in, maybe they're fresh out of college or they're changing careers, who want to do this full time and think that they can make videos really cheaply and just do a bunch of them, but then they start to realize how many videos they have to do in order to make a living. And realistically, it's just not possible. And so in order to be able to make a living, people like John realize they have to charge more for their work. It's just the only way you can make money because you can't, the likelihood of you finding enough clients to do 120 videos a year is very slim. So you have to really think about how, how you've got to charge enough money to where if you only get three or four videos in a month, you can still survive. And in order to do that, that means you have to charge more for your services. Not to mention, you have to look at the industry in general. You know, I think there's some misconceptions. People, 25, 30 years ago, people knew that video cost a lot of money. They knew that, like a small, let's take a, let's take a business, a, a relatively decent sized business. They knew 25, 30 years ago that if they wanted a 30 second TV ad, they were going to have to pay a lot for it. I mean, cameras back then were 60 plus thousand dollars just for the body. And that was for like an entry level camera. I mean, today, $60,000 camera will get you into a red monstro, but 25, 30 years ago, $60,000 was like the starting price for a used camera, you know, and then on top of that, post-production costs were extremely high. Audio was a lot harder to capture, so you usually had to have a sound crew. Lighting was so important because cameras weren't as sensitive to light, so a lot of times you have to have a lighting crew. And then on top of all of that, if you wanted any type of aerial shots, you'd have to hire a helicopter pilot who f would have to fly a helicopter, and you'd have to have equipment set up to mount in the helicopter in order to be able to get stable shots from that helicopter. And so to get a, a video for a, a 30 second ad for business that had an aerial shot with um, well-lit scenes cost you into the six figures. But now today, because technology has changed so much, you don't have to rent a helicopter. You can fly a drone and drop $2,000 on a whole drone setup and have a really nice setup. And you don't, in order to have like good quality lights, you can just buy LED panels and do it yourself. And if you want to record good sounding audio, you can get a, a good shotgun mic or a good super cardioid mic and a lapel and mix them both into a recorder. And post-production is so much easier now with technology that you can do it all yourself. You don't have to necessarily have to have a designated colorist to get good color. You don't have to have um, programs that little changes take forever to make. I mean, you can throw a bunch of digital files into your computer, make quick cheat tweaks, and be done with your project really fast. I mean, technology has advanced so much that you can make videos that look 
a hundred times better than they did 25, 30 years ago, but at a fraction of the price. But the problem with that is that people today, because of the the ever-changing technology, people today think that videos should cost very little. And while video prices have definitely come down, you still have to make money because you still have to make a living. If you're doing this professionally like John wants to do, you still have to be able to support yourself. So even though technology has gotten better, you still have to be able to charge for your services or you'll never be able to make it. Now, can someone buy an iPhone for hardly anything and shoot video and put it on social media? Absolutely. Can your 15-year-old cousin buy a $250 video camera from Best Buy with autofocus and uh, a light from Home Depot and maybe a microphone and be able to make videos for your small business for a hundred bucks a pop. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it is our job as professionals, people like John who want to get into this, it's our job to show our worth and just show why what we do is better than the iPhone video or the 15-year-old nephew who buys a, a cheap camera from Best Buy. And so today, it is more important than ever to prove your worth. It is more important than ever to, to learn the craft of filmmaking, to learn about lighting, to learn about audio, to learn about how to storyboard and to tell a story in a certain amount of time, whether that's a 30-second TV ad or a five-minute web video. It's more important than ever to focus on those elements today because if you don't, you will get undercut by hobbyists and weekend warriors who are learning how to shoot quality video for very little amount of money and will do it just to make some extra side cash. It is our job as a professional to prove why we do this professionally because literally the point of being a professional, like what a professional is, is someone who does this for, for a living, right? And so if you want to be paid to do this for a living, it is your job to be able to prove why your product is substantially better than the weekend warrior or the hobbyist. Otherwise, if you don't do that, you will never be able to make a living doing this because there will always be people who will find a way to do video projects for people for $500. But you, So you have to understand that you have to charge more. I mean, you have to. If you don't charge more, you won't be able to make a living. I just explained to you how much money a single guy who's fresh out of college has to make just to survive. Imagine what you have to make in order to be able to support yourself if you have more equipment than John does. If you have multiple camera bodies where you want to get into a RED or an FS7 or something like that. Or if you have a family to support and you live in a house and things like that, in order to be able to make enough money to support those things, you have to charge more. And so that's why when you look at video today, a quality video done by a professional who's been doing this for a period of time, who has a fair amount of equipment and a lot of experience, that professional is going to charge a lot more money to make a quality product because he has to. It's the only way he can justify the time he spent, he or she has spent, learning the craft purchasing the equipment and things like that. Otherwise, we can't justify anything that we do. Why? How could I ever justify owning an FS7 and making the types of projects that I make that have taken me close to a decade to learn how to do? How could I 
how could I ever justify taking the time to learn all those things and to purchase my equipment if I can't even make enough to support myself? So that's why it's very common to find a web video that costs $2,500 or maybe even $5,000 plus expenses. Because in order for people like me to be able to make a living and to be able to pay for the equipment we have and our experience and our expertise, we have to charge that. Otherwise, I might as well, people like me might as well just pick up an iPhone and some lighting gear and, you know, just do it on the side and make some extra side cash and support ourselves through some other medium. That's why today when you look at videos and you are looking at buying one and you you get a little flabbergasted, well, I, I just, all I wanted was a two-minute web video. How come it costs $2,500 or $3,000 plus expenses? Well, the reason is because you are hiring a professional who has learned how to do something that other people cannot do, who has equipment that costs a lot of money, even though it's not as expensive or as, as, as much money as it used to be 25, 30 years ago, it's still tens of thousands of dollars, if not more than that. And so you're hiring someone to bring that equipment in and that experience in who has to be able to pay for all that equipment, pay for that experience, and support themselves and compete with their competitors. So in order to, to be able to make a living as a professional, the better you get, the more equipment you have, the higher your price goes, and the more expensive you are. And if you are someone who's looking at purchasing a video, you just have to understand that that's what you're paying for. Yes, you can find people out there who uh, are like John, who will do it for $1,000 because they're new, newer to it. They have basic gear and they're just now getting their feet wet uh, and they just need to support themselves. And yes, you can find people who will do it less than that because they're a weekend warrior or a hobbyist who does this for fun. But if you want to get a real high quality professional video, what you are paying for is for someone who was John five or 10 years ago but who has taken what John did to get started and has added much more equipment, who has more microphones, more cameras, better cameras, um, has a lot more experience in post-production, creates better stories. Like you are paying for someone who was John one at one point in time, but who is now uh, much better than John uh, is today. And so that's what you're paying for. So as you get better and as you add equipment, your price has no choice but to go up. And that's why when you go to hire someone who's been doing this for five plus years, you're going to pay a lot, I don't know, a lot more money to get a quality video. That's why it's still, even though prices have come down significantly from what they were 25, 30 years ago, you still have to pay thousands of dollars for a quality product unless it's a churn and burn, quick and dirty video. Yes, you can still do churn and burn quick and dirty $500 videos. But for a, a well-thought-out, well-scripted, multi-day project, you have to understand it's going to cost money. Because it takes time, not just to, to, to learn the equipment or things like that, but it takes time to make a video like that. Like a two-minute web video, you've got you've to spend time scripting it out. You've got to spend time setting up your interview. You've got to spend time shooting your interview and coaching your person through the interview. You've got to spend time getting your B-roll and setting up the shots for your B-roll and hiring voice over artists and hiring second shooters and doing things through post-production and all that. All of that takes time. And it's not as simple as just showing up with an iPhone and shooting, shooting the video and then throwing it online. There are people who do that, yes, but as a professional, it's your job to show why, why a project that takes time to make 
and more money to make is worth more than that iPhone video. And if you cannot prove that, you why you're worth more than the iPhone guy, then you simply can't make a living doing this. And that's just the truth. So as a as a videographer or a person who is trying to start a video production company, you have to remember that you cannot charge too little or you'll never be able to make it. You'll do this for five or six months. You'll be starving. You'll be selling stuff just to try to pay for rent and you'll never be able to make it. You have to charge enough money to survive. But you also have to prove to your customers why you are worth the money you are charging. And so, and then if you are a customer who's looking to buy a video, you could definitely get the Weekend Warrior $500 special. But you also have to keep in mind that if you want something that really um, does a good job of showing your product or your services or telling your story, you're probably going to get that from a professional. And a professional, now that you've listened to this podcast, you now know that a professional has to be able to make a living too. So the prices are definitely going to be higher no matter what. So that's pretty much what you have to decide. As a consumer, you have to decide, do I want a cheap weekend warrior video or do I want a real professional video? And if you do, if the answer is yes, I want a professional video that's well told with a good story, good color, good lighting, good sound design, then you have to understand it's going to cost money because the person making it had to spend money in order to be able to make that for you. And then if you are a videographer or a video producer, you have to understand that it's your job to prove why you are worth the professional prices you charge. And if you can't do that, you will lose out to the weekend warrior every single time. I hope this podcast makes sense. I hope that my hypothetical character, John, um, does well in his career. (laughs) But I hope that it makes sense that how even someone who's just starting out has to be able to make that kind of money just to survive. And that someone who's been doing this for any length of time with more gear than that is going to have to make even more than that. And that is why videos cost what they cost. And I hope that makes sense. If you want to learn more about how to price your video work, then I highly suggest you listen to the podcast I did on how to price your video work or read that blog article I wrote that's on my Filming with Josh tab under my rusticriver.media website. Again, it's www.rusticriver.media. You can also type in www.rusticrivermedia.com. Either will take you to my website. And again, there will be the Filming with Josh tab. And under there, you'll find the blog article um, that is titled How to Price Your Video Work. And if you read that, um, that will explain to you the two different ways you can price yourself and kind of how to figure out what your pricing should be. But hopefully today's podcast, at this podcast, will explain to you why it does cost what it costs. And keep in mind, what I just explained doesn't include music, voiceover artists, sound effects, special effects, storage costs, equipment rentals, travel expenses, film permits, props, actors, location or set rentals, shooting uh, second shooters or sound guys. All of those things are all extra. And if you're paying for video, you're going to run into those different things. Because if you want music and voiceover artists and all that stuff, it costs money. So you're going to have to remember that whatever the sound or whatever the videographer charges, that you're more than likely going to have to pay for that in addition to your cost, because that's just what it costs to create the, the to create a video. It's like building a house. You can't just pay the builder to build the house. You also have to pay for the materials, the lumber, the concrete, the brad nails, all those things. All of that costs money and 
the home builder can't be responsible for paying that or he'd never make anything. So when you build a house, you have to pay for the, the people's time to build it and the materials that it costs to make that house. And the video is no different. That's what you're paying for. You're paying for someone like John who's learned how to do something really unique. You're paying for his expertise and you're paying for all the materials that are go into making the video. And that's that's why video costs what it costs. And I hope that this podcast demonstrates for that for you today. If you have any further questions, feel free to email me at josh at rusticriver.media or find me on Facebook at Joshua Milligan. You can also follow my business, Rustic River Media, on Facebook or rustic underscore river underscore media as my handle for Instagram. Don't forget to join the Filming with Josh Facebook group. If you are not on that group yet, I want to highly encourage you to join it. It is a place for videographers, photographers, and business owners to come learn more about this industry, how to create videos, how to make money doing it, how to set yourself apart from your competitors. Come join this growing group of friends who are learning together how to create better quality products and how to make a living doing it. Again, that's the Filming with Josh Facebook group. I would love to see you there. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Please rate it and comment if you have any comments or suggestions on my podcast. Um, I would love it if you go to iTunes and rate it there. I would love for more people to find out about this podcast so they too can learn more about videography, photography, and the business that goes with it. So please take the time to rate my podcast if you feel like you enjoyed it and got something out of it. I thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I can't wait to talk to you guys next time. Thanks, and take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.